Hey, sustainable fashion supporter. Welcome to Recloseted Radio, a podcast dedicated to fashion sustainability and equipping you with the knowledge to do better in the world. I'm your host, Selena Ho, and I promise to support you on this journey to right the harmful fashion industry. You ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back, everyone. I'm super excited for today's episode because I'm sitting down and interviewing Cassandra Chirello, who is the founder and CEO of Chic Made Consciously. And just in case you haven't heard of Chic Made Consciously before, well, it's a company that offers repurposed, handmade, and fair trade accessories. And as a social entrepreneur, Cassandra's passion is to help those in less developed countries have access to fair wages, as well as empower consumers to wear a better story. She believes that sustainability is a lifestyle choice where we have the power to make small incremental steps every day to create a better world. Without further ado, I am so, so, so excited for this interview with Cassandra, so let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Cassandra. Thanks for coming on. Yay, so excited to be here. Let's get started by you giving an overview of who you are, your brand, and also your journey. Sure, yeah. So my name is Cassandra Trello. I'm the founder of Chic Made Consciously, which is a slow fashion company, social enterprise that works to help artisans around the world. I'm really focusing on preserving their traditional crafts and um, really an emphasis on repurposing. So like this circular model of fashion, how we can reuse materials that would be in the waste stream. Yeah, so repurposing, handmade, and fair trade. Um, That's really what we're all about. So the brand's evolved a lot over the last four years since I started, and um, I'm currently in the works of launching our third collection. And yeah, it's really exciting. So we have a line all repurposed from inner tire tubes. So we use trucks, motorbikes, scooters, and that's in collaboration with Uh, an artisan group in Indonesia based in Bali. They're called Art Cycle Bali. Really incredible artisans. They were really the crux and beginning of my journey into sustainable fashion. I met Dana, one of the artisans from their group, through my travels in 2014. And yeah, I was backpacking throughout Asia, um, just kind of like not sure what I wanted to do with my life. I was teaching English in Korea for a year, but also left like my bank job in Toronto. And I was kind of just looking for something different. I I knew I was going to be coming home and not even have a clue of what my path was going to be. So it all kind of worked out really interestingly, meeting this artisan and he invited me into his shop and I spent the whole afternoon making pieces. Yeah, it was like the most amazing thing, just working with his tools, asking so many questions. I'd never seen such a wasteful material being transformed and repurposed into like the most beautiful designs sitting there with him people coming in and out of the shop just being so impressed and they were just works of art and just like the techniques of how he was making was so cool that kind of experience really allowed me to see you know wow there's a human being behind everything that we buy 
And leaving Indonesia, I started to really reflect on my own consumption habits. And I came back home to Toronto to, you know, really want to change my lifestyle habits. And I just kind of went down this rabbit hole of learning all about what was happening in the fashion industry. I started volunteering with this nonprofit called Fashion Takes Action that's based in Toronto. Have you heard of them? Yeah, I'm a big fan of them. Yeah, I also teach their youth program right now. So I educate youth on the social and environmental impact of fashion. We're also expanding to the West Coast in Vancouver. So yeah, any educators out there wanting to get your students learning more about the fast fashion industry, definitely look up Fashion Takes Action online um, and check out the My Clothes My World program. But yeah, so I started working with them and I started learning so much and just being involved in all these events about slow fashion, about sustainability. And like, I was just life changing. And I'm like, I was actually kind of depressed for a little while because I was so sad about what was happening with the world and the planet and the people. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, nobody knows about what's happening. And I didn't even know about what was happening. I mean, that's why I'm here. It feels good to be sharing this message and like meeting like-minded people like you and just offering a consciously made product for people to invest differently. And I realize it is a behavioral shift. You know, like prices that you see in the sustainable fashion industry right now are higher because that price is reflected in helping the planet and the people behind it being paid fair wages. So it's about buying less and investing into quality made things. So yeah, yeah, that's my, that's just the beginning. Yeah, but thanks for letting me share all of that. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for sharing that with us. I love your journey and your story, especially you relating to, you know, the cultures and what you saw in your travels to start Chic Made Consciously. And I'm curious, what's the story behind your brand's name, Chic Made Consciously? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. It took me a while to come up with that name, also because the artisan group we're working with was originally called All Waste Reincarnation Art. So they just rebranded last year or the year before. And, you know, I took on their name for a little bit and I felt like my soul wasn't so much in it. And not that I didn't like, you know, want to brand their product, but it just felt like there was going to be something bigger to it. So Chic Made Consciously came from my initials CMC and I really wanted it to just have something that represented what our product was and that allowed for still some fluidity and what it could be in the future. Because, I mean, I was selling the tire products for three years until it was just a year ago that I launched the second collection made in Cambodia from war remnants, all reclaimed brass. You know, it's been like a lot of pivots and learning and what people want and, you know, just business things that come up that you learn to roll with. And yeah, so that's kind of the name. It's CMC. And I wanted something that I could abbreviate and like, you know, have just like an easy thing for people to remember. Yeah. So that's the story behind it. (laughs) Thanks for sharing. And I wanted to dive a little bit deeper on the materials you use. So can you talk a little bit more about the tires and also the brass? Because I honestly think it's amazing that it's made out of upcycled warm remnants. Yeah, thanks. 
That was kind of an interesting addition and just something really near and dear to my heart because I traveled to Cambodia on that same trip um, backpacking through Asia and I didn't know much of anything of their history. And so at the time I was traveling there, I was also reading this memoir called First They Killed My Father. And if anybody wants to learn more about Cambodian history, I would really encourage you to read this. Um, So it's basically written by a former child soldier and she like retells her life story you know living through the Khmer Rouge and her experience and so was like oh my goodness I'm visiting the killing fields and like all of these historic places that uh, was so profound with Cambodian history and you know I I was just really transformed and I felt so deeply for their culture and their people and it was it was the first time I felt real intense culture shock also. So I I, uh, I was living in Korea. I've traveled a lot. You know, I've, I've backpacked through Europe, but I'm also, my background is Italian. So I feel like, you know, I've been to these countries that didn't really ever like kind of not phase me, but just I didn't really feel out of my element or I didn't really feel that, wow, I'm in a different country that I couldn't adjust to. And so I went from Korea to Japan, which is like Korea on steroids, I say. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then flew from Tokyo to Cambodia and I got there in the evening and I woke up and I was like, wow, where am I? This is so crazy. And I had also never seen poverty like that you know like it's so in your face and then learning all about their history it was just so profound like wow you know these people haven't been able to rebuild and so for those of you listening just give you a snippet but their dictator at the time this happened in the 1970s Paul Pot basically wanted to eradicate everybody who was educated so he killed all doctors lawyers teachers and so like you can only imagine and only that he apparently killed two million people but they say that there's so many more that were not documented I mean, you can only imagine how can a society and economy rebuild after losing all of those people. And and so you just still see it. But it was also the same teaching that I learned that wow, you don't have to have much at all to be happy because I would just see people in their villages, you know, like I did these homestays in these on remote farmland. Like, I don't know, I, I did some crazy things while I was traveling, but it was yeah. such a cool experience, you know, and I got to be around people who didn't speak any English and for days I was like, whoa, this is kind of weird, but it's also kind of cool to be surrounded by it. But yeah, you know, like just them enjoying and living their lives so resourceful, you know, like saving all of the rainwater that they would bathe with every single day. You know, they don't even have access to clean water in some of those small villages. Anyways, I could go on and on, but I just felt like such a deep connection. And then a couple years ago, I was connected to this community called Craftworks Cambodia, and I met some artisans who were reusing these war remnants. So there's still between four and six million remnants of war on their land. Yeah, which was pretty overwhelming to know. And so there's like a governing body that we work with that does the sourcing and the cleanup. So it's not any artisans going into the field. We work with the Cambodian Mine Association, and they're the ones retrieving the remnants, making sure it's okay to resell, and then the artisans that we work with are buying it. 
We have about five artisans on our team. We're looking to train some more um, as we grow for the next coming years. So it's exciting and it's just so crazy that we're reusing this really powerful material. And the whole story of it is really the transformation. You know, like, look what we can do with such a tragic material, but we can make it something empowering for the people who are working with it, for you as a consumer that's buying it, and you can feel good sharing such a beautiful story. Yeah, I love it. I honestly think it's amazing that you use such great materials that have such a strong and powerful story, so good for you. And speaking of brass, for anyone that purchases your brass pieces or has brass jewelry of their own, can you talk about how you can maintain it? Because I know when we met, you were kind of showing me how brass can become a little bit muted, which I actually think is a cool look, but just any tips in general? Totally. Yeah, thanks. On our FAQ section on the website, we have some videos on like how to clean and care for it. I found that the best ways to really polish it up over time is just, I mean, you could simply take a polishing cloth and wipe it off or just kind of, you know, work with it a little bit and the shine will come back. If you want more of a luster, you can just take a little bit of baking soda and lemon and that acidity will really like bring that shine back. Like you said, you know, over time, brass naturally patinas. I like to say it like ages like wine. Um, some people really like that darkened, dull look. It just kind of, yeah, it has a bit more of a, of a darker color than the initial product that you'd see if you were buying it right away. And yeah, that's normal. It happens with oxidization and heat with the metals. So yeah, thanks for asking that. But yeah, make sure if you're interested and you're browsing the website, just check the FAQ section. We answer a lot of different questions about cleaning and just skin reactions and a lot of different things. Yeah, those are some great tips. And earlier on in the episode, when you were explaining your name, Sheik Made Consciously, you said that it is a little bit ambiguous and not necessarily linked directly to accessories and jewelry. So it allows you for pivots, which I think is great. But speaking of pivots, you know, what is your dream or end goal with the brand? You kind of hinted at apparel. So I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, right now, I feel like I'm just trying to focus on creating a strong presence as an accessory company. I know that for what you've seen at the event last week, a lot of people actually refer to our new collection coming as apparel because we are using textile ways. So stay tuned for our fall launch of our new collection online. But we're working with a, a Cambodian community, um, an artisan group called Tonle, and they work from a zero waste facility and they repurpose and reclaim all textiles, which is really amazing because over like 600 fast fashion brands are operating in Cambodia and just throwing away a lot of dead stock, which is like the end of the rolls of fabric. Yeah, it's really cool that we can get like perfectly good fabric and just repurpose it. The collection is not apparel, it's still accessories, but, you know, maybe it's a segue into what the future is. I still consider it, like I said, accessories, and right now my focus is on just really building these relationships, and over the next couple years, you know, working on those collections, and we're also building relationships with new communities around the world, so it's going to be really kind of this, like, marketplace for repurposed, handmade, and fair trade. 
you know, one of the challenges with slow fashion too is that, you know, there's only a few artisans we're working with. And, you know, if we give them a big order, yes, they're really happy, but also it puts a lot of pressure on the few people that are making them to have things done by a certain time. And last Christmas, you know, one of our main artisans hurt his hand while he was working and it was really sad and he had to take time off and go to the hospital and it's like, oh my goodness, you know, I don't want to put pressure on these people to work so diligently, which is obviously a great thing and they're excited to have these big orders, but at the same time, it's like putting so much pressure and strain on them to, you know, get this deadline done and that's really what like fast fashion is so trying to see how we can like shift and make sure we're still having an impact but also doing it in a way that is sustainable growth for the economy there and the people there oh no i'm so sorry to hear about that artisan but on that note i think you share that challenge with a lot of other sustainable and ethical brands because you want to give those manufacturers and those artisans the business but you also want to take into account their livelihood and how much they can handle would you say that's one of your biggest challenges with your brand right now and if not what are some of those challenges yeah that's a great question that's definitely one of them quality control is another one too you know we're working with again just like these artisans that are all home-based workers in Cambodia and so you know I've received an order and it's like okay 50 units of something that was not the same item you guys sent me last month and so how can we fix that and right now it's like well we want to train more people but there are these people who live in remote areas of the country they live like one or two hours outside of the city so you know they can get trained by our main artisan he can go out and you know i'm willing to invest in more training however what does that mean if christmas or spring or like these big times of the year comes up and we place this order and then I get pieces that are not going to be the same that I've ordered so trying to navigate what that looks like and how we can put like better processes and systems in place because I'm not living in those countries um, you know and they do have somebody who's checking but you know making sure that there's always maybe one sample there that they have to refer to and if it's not the same like what do we do and how can we make sure I'm getting exactly what I ordered? So yeah, that's another one. I think another big one is just the fashion industry operates on these cycles, right? It's like we are now used to spring, summer, winter, fall, all these like times of the year when collections are launched. And I'm still very much learning how to navigate all that because it's like fashion brands right now are already in production for next year, 2020, right? And I'm not there yet, that's for sure. And I know a lot of other like smaller, slow fashion brands it like we don't operate like that yet because it's kind of just like you're still learning the market you're still yeah like I'm just still finishing up the final touches for the fall launch and stuff and it's like I'm also just a one-woman show so it's so much to be like that much ahead of the game and I know that it's coming and like you know I'm definitely getting more and more prepared but it's learning to just have things ready like way ahead of time and I think that just will also come with like building a team and having more hands on deck and slowly we are growing I have one intern and one part-time employee and yeah so it's exciting 
anybody listening, if you're interested yeah. in, um, you know, having an internship or have any experience or think that you'd be a cool fit for the company, definitely send me an email, Cassandra at chicchicmc.com. And I imagine you'll probably put I'll that put in the show sure. notes too. Cool. Yeah. And so you mentioned that it's predominantly still just you, but you have a part-time employee plus an intern, which is awesome. And you've also been doing this for four plus years. So do you have any tips on how you manage it all? Any tips on efficiency or quote unquote balance? Definitely. I'm learning a lot about what that all means too, because, you know, you go through really busy periods and then oh my god like I've definitely burned out a few times you know and I'll do a lot of big trade shows in Toronto that's where I'm from and you know twice this year already I did two really big shows back to back like in March I did two trade shows back to back weekends and then during the week I'm still like preparing doing online stuff shipping orders all these other things so I never really stopped in between And I know from previous experience, it's like I always have to give myself a day, but sometimes I just don't for some odd reason. And then I got super sick this year after that happened. And it was definitely a sign to like slow down and just take care of your body. Self-care is still really important. And then kind of the same thing happened in June. Not that it's a chase but it's also kind of like wow I have these like great opportunities to be at these big events I make killer money but then what does that mean for like my health and I feel like it's this constant battle that I'm trying to balance Mm -hmm. between work and being financially stable and then like my health and self-care yeah I'm still navigating that but definitely like you know learning to say that at 9 30 I'm not doing any more work and you know there's going to be one night a week where I take a bath or I do something for myself and I just take time like one day on the weekend at least to like disconnect or one day where I'm not feeling like I have to respond to Instagram or emails or all of this stuff and I mean, it's always a part of my life. It's not going to go anywhere. So also realizing that nothing will just go away after one day if you just nourish yourself. So, So yeah, that's kind of my relationship with it. It's definitely like a learning curve, but... Yeah, because it's so easy to just get like really caught up in it because you love it. But then you're like, oh, my God, I've been working like 14 hours today and like I should probably go to bed, but I still need to do all these things. Totally. Yeah, you you. can relate. I I can 100% relate. yeah. 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 And a lot of my listeners are sustainable fashion brand owners and also there's entrepreneurs that listen as well. So I'm curious, how did you know when to hire? And for that first position, how did you know what to hire for? Oh, that's a good question. So I would definitely advise like doing the internship model as a way to test out hiring because yeah, I mean, the part-time employee that I have, I got her after she did an eight-month co-op with me, internship or co-op. There's a lot of schools in Toronto that do four or eight-month co-ops, which means like they're students that are looking to fulfill credits for whatever course. And she was in fashion management. And yeah, it just worked out so beautifully that she was seeking a co-op position. 
I posted an ad on Indeed, which is this job site. Um, I was just really wanting some help and I created a really nice two-pager like for all the things that I was looking for and what they would get in return. And she was like an amazing fit. And I think that the eight-month work term allowed us to really build a relationship together and see that she was a really good fit for what I needed, and she still works with me. It's like been a year and a half that she's been working part-time, so she works one or two days a week depending on what's needed, what we're doing, what we're working on, and then had two other interns since then or like co-ops. I think you also learn a lot about being a manager and working with different people, um, different work ethics. Um, yeah, it's it's a really good way to learn yourself because I am like, wow, I didn't realize like I was going to be a manager of people. And now I'm like, what do my growth plans look like, right? How many people do I want on my team in the next two, three years? And how can I be a better manager and like team leader for everybody who's going to want to be part of this initiative? And so it's a lot of like reflection as well, but definitely encourage the co-op or internship thing as a way to just kind of see the working relationship and see if that person is the best fit for what your brand stands for. Yeah, that's helpful. And for that first internship slash co-op position that you hired for, how did you decide what that person was going to work on? Was it just a list of items that you wanted to do, but you just never got around to doing? Or was it just things that you used to do, but you wanted to make time for doing new things? Yeah, good question. It was kind of just a lot of different things. I kind of say she's my go-to girl. Right now, she's really focusing on my email newsletter campaigns. She does a lot of like the back end stuff on the website, any SEO. What else? She she does all the graphic designs as well for the emails and stuff for social media. And if I have shows, like if she was coming to some shows to help me out as well with prepping and setup and teardown and all that stuff so kind of just yeah like my wing girl like whatever I needed she would be there to help me but yeah I also have been reading a lot about like one really good thing to delegate is like fulfillment of online orders and that kind of stuff which I feel like is also super tedious and eats a lot of my time that might be a good thing to suggest to anybody listening I feel like anything that maybe eats up a lot of your time, but sometimes it's interesting because you're like, okay, I'm going to delegate this. And then, I mean, with one of my interns, I felt like it was more work to get her to do it and manage that than for me to actually do it myself. So, you know, you got to be also really careful because somebody can seem like they're really skilled at something at the beginning and then they're doing it and it's like oh my god I just had to spend three hours now like reverse engineering everything you just did (laughs) so so yeah just be mindful of that and but you'll never know until you try and have somebody doing it and again it's all like lessons that you'll be learning along the way so yeah yeah that's helpful as well And I'm curious, so I know a lot about fashion sustainability and ethics in fashion, and I've started researching more about jewelry, and there's been some things that have shocked me, like the ethics of diamonds and crystals and all of that stuff. 
But since you're in the jewelry industry and in the more ethical slash sustainable side of things, I'm wondering what is something that you've learned about the industry that has shocked you? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I watched this documentary recently called The Shadow of Gold. And it was more about like the whole gold industry and mining and again, just like the exploitation of people in a lot of these less developed countries. I would encourage people to watch that as well to learn more about like fair trade gold and just how you can look for purchasing ethical gold. And it kind of like is all streamlined in the same way fashion is, I think. It's just that same idea that the average workers abroad are making sense on what we're buying. And a lot of the mining and all of these minerals are sourced through really exploitive practices where you know like people in China are mining for gold and a lot of other gemstones where they're putting their lives at risk and they're getting lung cancer and stuff because they're in all these really harsh conditions. I know that's a little bit of a different industry than like what I'm selling but it's the same idea I think it's all the same ethics about like just buying responsibly right like how can you find out more about the story that you're buying and like thinking about how things were made who's making them and just wanting to learn more about the behind the scenes that we often don't really ask about or we don't see right away because we're just kind of drawn to that really shiny object and it's so beautiful and it's so hard to resist and that's the truth but I feel like when you take a step back I think every human being wants to buy something that's meaningful and gives back and when you know the story it's like oh no (laughs) um yeah I hope that answers your question does and in fashion sustainability and ethics there's things like fair trade gods ecotax all of that stuff and so i'm wondering if there are certifications or things we should look out for when it comes to jewelry there's like a lot of fair trade certifications the gods would be like cotton and then there's like so many fair trade certifications There's Fair Trade Federation, there's the World Fair Trade Organization. Those are the two that stand out in my mind right now. But yeah, that just means like the human labor side and the workers behind it are being paid fairly. I'm actually in the process of applying to Fair Trade Federation. So yeah, there's also B Corp, which is another one. Um, So yeah, like I think these certifications really allow consumers to have trust in, in brands and know that it is being done in a responsible way. And I think with the gold and any of that kind of stuff, and even with with my products, like it's the human labor, that's something that can be certified through fair trade. So that's something I would encourage everybody who's listening to just look for or even ask about, you know, like, because I say fair trade on my website. And I love when people ask me, like, what does that mean to you and your company, right? Because everybody kind of has a different definition or like different brands might represent fair trade in a different way. So yeah, you know, for us, it means working closely with the artisans, making sure they're paid fair wages, that they're in safe working conditions because I go personally and meet with them um, and really just like to build that connection, you know, so they know that they're making pieces for Cassandra and Chic Made Consciously in Toronto and not just 
like mass producing or like making for somebody that they have no idea who it is, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, just wanting to build more of that transparency. And you'll see on our website too, we have different artists and bios and photos of the people we work with. So yeah, it's special to share that transparency too. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, for jewelry, do you have any end-of-life best practices that you can share with us? Because I know sometimes for jewelry, it can tarnish or rust, so any tips there? Yeah, with like our products or just yeah, in general? Yeah, your products and in general. Yeah, that's a good thing. We're actually... Oh, wait, do you have a take-back program? No, oh, okay. we don't, but we're like looking at different alternatives for people to, you know, maybe that would be an option or just for them to like have an alternative or something to do, a solution rather um, for the end of life. Because, you know, as a slow fashion brand, we are always looking at ways that we can be more circular and, um, you know, with the brass pieces, it's maybe something that we might be able to like remelt down. But what does that mean if it's been worn for so long and is it will it be the same quality? So there's a lot of things we're just kind of testing out right now with pieces that I've had for so long. And I would encourage everybody like just to not throw things in the garbage. I know that there's not always a solution and you kind of just want to get rid of stuff. Um, but if there is, you know, some way you can like donate it or see if you can maybe like put it on Facebook Marketplace or see if any of your friends want it, unless it's like ripped, damaged or destroyed, I feel like there's always a creative way that you can look at it or maybe there's something you can do with it to repurpose it in a new way, right? Like some of our tire pieces like that I've had for a really long time, I like use them and put them on my jacket and like glued it on a jean jacket which looks so cool like I know that's kind of extreme no I actually think that's a great idea yeah and might not be the first thing that people think of but it's just kind of like how can I do something different without throwing this away yeah 100 percent yeah, I don't I don't have a definitive answer, but if you can, I would definitely like go back to the brand that you bought anything from and see if they have any solutions for you or any take back program or maybe see if you can resell it, donate it or do or there's any other places in the city that even take back whatever the material it is and they might do something with it cuz more and more like there's recycling programs that are coming out and doing things with different materials and like textiles and stuff like that. So definitely don't throw anything away, especially your textiles. Um, you know, I don't know what you guys do here in Vancouver, but we have, you know, donation bins in Toronto that recycle the textile waste. So Yeah, so in Vancouver we have donation bins as well and everything that's donated actually goes to sorter graders because in Vancouver we have six, so there's a lot of resources. And these sorter graders literally go through everything and find everything at home, which is amazing. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and I don't know how many there are in Toronto, but I know in San Francisco, for example, I think they only have one or two, which is crazy. Yeah. But I don't know how many they have in Toronto. I actually don't know that I'm aware of that, so I'm going to look into it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And if you want to learn more about sorter graders, I actually interviewed a lady named Karen Story who works at Metro Vancouver, and she actually overviewed what they do. And so that's on the 15th episode of Recloseted Radio if you wanted to check it out. Ooh, I will definitely check that one out. Cool. 
Switching gears a bit, I wanted to ask you more of a fun question. How do you source creativity slash find inspiration? Cool. That's a good question. I find like tapping into flow state um, is kind of challenging sometimes, but I think for me, like music really helps. Um, So I'm just kind of getting back into playing the guitar, which really makes me like super expressive and like just come up with like cool ideas sometimes, or even just like I'll sing and play a song that I've never played before. And that's really fun. And I feel like that usually is like momentum for something. In the mornings, I try and meditate, and I find that also helps. And then just like maybe dancing to my favorite song. (laughs) Yeah, so that's kind of a few different things that gets me going into my creativity. It can be challenging sometimes when you just feel stuck, but I think just giving yourself a bit of space is always good because I've definitely been in times when I'm like, oh my God, I need to figure out this answer or find a solution to this. And it's just like, it's not going to come to you when you're feeling anxious and like trying so hard to find out the answer or come up with a creative solution. It's just not going to happen. So just Mm -hmm. give yourself space and do something different for a little bit. Maybe do something... Like, I don't know, just go to the park, be in nature, and do something that, like, lights you up. (laughs) I totally agree with you. I think being in nature and trying to de-stress and not think about things all the time and run around in circles really allows you to have ideas come to you and flow to you. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. And we've been talking about this throughout the episode, but how can people support you? Where can they find you? How can they reach you? Yeah, I'd love to share and I love connecting with new people. So if anybody wants to even send me an email or has any questions, you can definitely chat with me further. Cassandra at chicmc.com, C-H-I-C-M-C.com. And then you can find me all over social media at Chic Made Consciously, which will be in the show notes. Mm-hmm on instagram facebook those are basically the main ones i'm i'm like pretty much on instagram all the time i also love voice notes and video messages so (laughs) don't be surprised if that's how i respond back to any messages yeah i do the same yeah it's so fun um yeah i really love connecting with people so yeah if you have any other questions or just want to reach out definitely send me a dm on instagram And yeah, check out the website, chicmc.com. Enjoy browsing. We have a new collection uh, that just launched early August of the, yeah, so exciting, of the war remnants, brass collection. And then we have some new stuff coming this fall, as I mentioned, from Textile Waste. And I just wanted to say lastly that I'll be showcasing the new collection this October the 25th at Startup Fashion Week in Toronto. I'm so excited because it's my first fashion week ever. And yeah, if you're in the Toronto area, definitely come check it out. And there's going to be more details in the show notes if you want to learn about how to get yourself a ticket. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad we got to connect when you were in town in Vancouver. I think that you're doing amazing things, Cassandra. So thank you for doing all that you do and also for making time for us today to share your nuggets of wisdom with us. 
Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's honestly my pleasure. And I'm so happy to share this message with people and just be connected to people like you. And thank you for having this podcast for people to learn more. And that was this week's episode with Cassandra from Chic Made Consciously. If you enjoyed this episode and this interview, make sure you take a screenshot and tag us at Recloseted and also at Chic Made Consciously and let Cassandra know you enjoyed what she said. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Recloseted Radio, so you are notified and new episodes are automatically downloaded on your podcast platform. And last but not least, if you haven't done this yet, please leave us a rating and review because that helps us get found and helps us spread our message and our movement. So if you haven't already, please leave us a rating and review and obviously subscribe as well if you haven't already because that would be so, so, so appreciated. I hope you have a great rest of your week and remember, we are all in this together and together we will write the harmful fashion industry.